Uh, hey guys, um, sorry. Uh, my name is Joe, and I'm a member here at BBC, and I have the privilege today to bring to you God's God's word, and I'll be sharing some observations and some meditations uh, on the verse that we'll be taking a look at. Uh, before, before we take a dive in, uh, let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, help me now uh, to preach, Lord, your word. Uh, I pray that you would stir, Lord, our affections for you here and deliver us, Lord, from anything that's incorrect in, in what I say. I pray, Lord, that you would be glorified and treasured here during this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, so please turn your Bibles to Psalm 19.7. Um, that's Psalm 19.7. So it reads, uh, the instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. Uh, the testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. I'll read that one more time. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, uh, renewing one's life. Uh, the testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, uh, making the inexperienced wise. And so to start off, uh, you know, I want us to take a look at the phrases, the instruction of the Lord and the testimony of the Lord. And I want to establish our understanding of what those uh, phrases mean. And I think if we take a look at the next verses, the following verses, uh, it'll become pretty obvious as to what David or the psalmist David uh, meant um, when he says the instruction of the Lord or the testimony of the Lord. So if you take a look... At verses 8 through 9, uh, we'll start with verse 8. Um, you'll see uh, the precepts of the Lord are right. Um, so, you know, what are precepts? Right? I, I quickly Googled these definitions, right? but a precept is a general rule intended to regulate uh, behavior. Right? So, uh, moving on, uh, the command of the Lord is radiant. I don't think I need to elaborate here uh, what a command means. I'm sure all of us know uh, what a command is. And then if you um, go with me down to verse 9, uh, you'll see the ordinances of the Lord are reliable. Um, an ordinance is an authoritative order or decree. Um, and so you know, are, are you seeing the trend here? Right? The words being used here um, are synonymous to the word law. And actually, the Hebrew word there in verse 7 for instruction is a Hebrew word uh, for law. Uh, so the beginning of verse 8 could read, and uh, many, many translations do translate it this way. It reads, the law of the Lord is perfect. Right? Also, the Hebrew word for testimony here could also refer to law in a general sense. Right, so I think it's pretty safe to say that when David says uh, the instruction of the Lord or the testimony of the Lord or, or further down, right, the precepts of the Lord, 
uh, command of the Lord and ordinances of the Lord, uh, we can know that these are one and the same, uh, namely uh, the law of God. And I think more, more generally, uh, we can understand it as uh, the word of God. Um, and so that brings us now to the meditations I have on this verse. Um, I was actually only able to get to the first part of the first line of this verse, uh, and that part is um, the law or, or instruction of the Lord is, is perfect. And so these are the four meditations I have on the perfection uh, of God's word. Uh, number one, the word of God is pure. Uh, number two, uh, the word of God lacks nothing. Uh, number three, the word of God is not expendable. Uh, number four, uh, the word of God is perfect uh, in effect. All right, so we'll start with number one. Uh, the word of God is, is pure. Uh, so the Hebrew word that's used here for perfect uh, is used in other places to mean uh, without blemish or without defect. Uh, so the word of God is uh, without blemish or without defect, right? You know, wh what does that mean, right? Um, you know, that's to say that the word of God is uh, without error, that there is no mistake, that there is absolutely no false saying. And in the more positive form, right, this is the title of the meditation, and that's to say that the Word of God is pure, that it's completely and utterly flawless in every sense. Now put this in contrast to us as humans, how many times has death-bearing fruit come out from the mistakes of our words, uh, even our unintentional ones? How many times have we hurt people and tore people down by the carelessness and senselessness of our words? How many times have lies and false words destroyed the lives of not only the ones receiving it, uh, but the ones making it? Or how many times have we failed to say the right words that build up in every circumstance? How many times have we omitted loving but hard words from our, our words because we feared man? How many times have we conveyed a poor image of who God is uh, by the words that come out of our mouths? How many times have our words come from ill motives? I mean, how can we? Um, how can we be pure and without error in the things we say when our hearts are so corrupt to its core, apart from Christ? Uh, Luke 6.45 says that the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart our words confirm and show the evil in our hearts, uh, what we truly are apart from Christ. Uh, but praise God, BBC, uh, God is not like us. He is perfect in love. He is perfect in righteousness, in his justice, in compassion, in sympathy, in wisdom, and in his humility. And it's out of this perfect heart that God speaks the words uh, that he has given us in the pages that we see before us today. And unlike us, you can be sure and certain that his words are perfect in every way because of his perfect heart. Isn't that such a relief and comfort for our souls today? God's word is without error and utterly and completely flawless. Let's move on to 
Point number two, the word of God lacks nothing. So the Hebrew word here for perfect is also used uh, elsewhere to mean uh, wholeness or fullness or uh, entirety. Right? I think the idea here right, is to convey that the word of God lacks absolutely nothing, that it is completely and utterly sufficient for us in life. Uh, it doesn't lack in uh, even down to the smallest. Yeah. Thank you. So, yeah, it doesn't lack in terms of the word of God sustaining our very lives uh, down to the minute details, uh, even down to the small, smallest unit of creation. Uh, it doesn't lack in terms of wisdom, in terms of what is needed for salvation, uh, for sanctification, right? 2 Timothy 3.16 through 17 reads, All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, right? Equipped for every uh, good work. So notice the words there, complete uh, and every good work. And so the word of God is perfectly sufficient, and as long as we have his word, um, we have everything we need uh, in this life. And yet another truth uh, we can take comfort in. Number three, the word of God is not expendable. So from these two points, right, the two points that I just talked about, on the perfection of the word of God, I, I think you can easily deduce that not a single word of God is expendable, right? Anything that is expendable uh, is something that is not necessary or can be done uh, without. I just read that all scripture is inspired by God down to every, every single word of scripture. And earlier I talked about how these words come from a perfect heart. Every single word in the scriptures is inspired by the perfect love of God. Every single word is lovingly, thoughtfully, intentionally, and masterfully uh, put together. There's no wasted word in scriptures, in scripture. But oh, how, how many times uh, we may not have explicitly thought that there are expendable or useless words of God, but how many times have we treated it functionally as such? There are so many times where I've quickly overlooked certain portions of scriptures. Right, John accurately described me this morning uh, really just being a lazy baby about reading over and, and understanding the hard things, right? Not willing to do the work, but quickly overlooking right, the genealogies and priestly ordinances, you know, texts related to constructions, construction of a building uh, or, or prophetic visions, uh, you know, even the study of the geography um, or, you know, just difficult New Testament passages. Um, and, you know, even more recently, uh, the first text I was actually given uh, to preach on was the Order of Melchizedek, right? Uh, even though I've seen this and read about it for so many years, I haven't done anything, right, to dig deeper as though it would be better use of my time 
to meditate on other portions of scriptures that are easier and more convenient to understand. Um, so if you're anything like me, you know, wh what are we saying about God's words uh, when we do this? Are we not elevating certain scriptures above others? Uh, dare I say, treating certain portions of scripture as useless and non-essential and not worth our time. We do these things when we're actually reading the scriptures, but how many times have we treated the whole word of God, the whole counsel of God as dispensable or expendable or non-essential in our lives? Without any inkling or uh, of hesitation or even a single glance at the word of God that speaks about things that even glorious angels who dwell in heaven long to see, we run straight to a screen that displays the latest shows. We run to games, hobbies, praises and approval of men, our, our own glory, whatever money can buy us, building, the building up of our careers, the building up of a, a kingdom here. How ridiculous and silly is it to exchange the all-satisfying glory of God that can be discovered in his word for the fleeting and empty and ultimately disappointing pleasures of this world. Brothers and sisters, what are we saying about God when we handle his word in such a way? You see, I'm, I'm sure God has given each and every one of you uh, good desires uh, to dive deeper into the word of God. And, you know, that's going to look different for every person, right? So diving deeper into the word of God for a new believer uh, is certainly going to look different from uh, a, a believer that's been in God's word for, you know, 10 years. Um, so, you see, let's, let's stop snuffing out or abandoning those desires, those good desires to dive deeper into the word of God. Or for those of us that don't have any, let's, let's pray for these new desires. Uh, let's pray that God will stir up our affections for him and for God to lead us uh, deeper into his word. So let's pursue more instances in our lives to labor in God's word and to think and meditate long and hard about all of God's words and, and, and not just certain portions because these portions of scripture that we often overlook are motivated by the same love of God that inspired the portions of scriptures that we so dearly love and treasure. So don't lose out on the love of God that seeps through the pages of the portions of scriptures we over easily overlook. Brothers and sisters, I know, I know that as we do this, uh, the Lord will surely bless our seeking and reveal to us treasures of his word that reveal the awesome glory of God. God is the rewarder of those who seek him. You can be sure of that. That brings us to our fourth point, um, meditation. Uh, the word of God is uh, perfect in effect. Right? So the word of God will accomplish uh, what it sets out to do. Uh, it doesn't just sometimes realize its goals, it, it always realizes its goals. God says in Isaiah 55, 11, that 
my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. Are you discouraged, brothers and sisters? Take heart. The promises in God's word will certainly, certainly come to pass, and he will certainly finish a good work in you. Do you feel cold towards the word of God? Take heart. Keep running to it. God's word will soften your heart in his timing. But don't let the coldness of your heart keep you away from his word. If your heart is cold, that's, that's precisely where you need to be, at the fire of his word. God's word will accomplish what God desires to do. And by this point of the sermon, uh, some of us may be discouraged by how we've treated the word of God and really just how we've treated God himself. And uh, if you could just bear with me a little, a little longer. Um, I asked us earlier, you know, what are we saying about our God when we handle his word as dispensable or expendable or non-essential to our lives? To give you an example, you know, uh, Watch out, husbands, uh, wives might give you a dirty look here. But uh, you know, if I were to treat my wife's word as dispensable or non-essential or useless, what, what am I saying about my wife? Right? I'm, I'm saying that she's unimportant to me, right? that I value her very little, if not at all. And the thing we see here is that the degree with which you listen and value a person's word is the degree to which you love and respect that person. And in the same way, when we handle God's word as expendable, we're saying that God is not important to us, that he's not really valuable, that he's not precious, but that he is commonplace and ordinary and thus can be easily discarded. Well, brothers and sisters, many of us, if you're like me, have sinned against the Lord. For those of you who aren't Christian, I mentioned earlier how the mouth speaks out of the overflow of the heart. This is what God says about you and your words. Uh, Romans 3, 10 through 14 reads, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does good. There's no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Vipers' venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Your words reveal that you are not righteous, that you are not good, but wicked to your core. If there's any inkling in you to think that you can stand before a holy and perfect God who expects perfection from you, I'm here to warn, warn you today that you won't be able to stand before him and you will surely crumble before God's righteous standard and you will be rightfully damned to hell for the offense that your life is to God. You are by nature an enemy to God. Now don't misunderstand, I'm not singling out the non-Christians here. We Christians, like all men, 
This is our state. This is the wretched state. Uh, apart from our Lord Jesus Christ. So who will save us? Who's, who's going to rescue us from this demise? It's the thanks be to God in Jesus Christ. God sent his own son, Jesus Christ, who is titled the word of God. And it's in this Jesus who is the word of God that God speaks from the overflow of his heart. And his heart for you, in Jesus Christ, the word of God, is love. It's in love that God took the punishment of eternal damnation under the very wrath of God that you and me deserve. And he placed that on his own son, Jesus Christ, whose value is far greater than all of the heavenly hosts and earthly wonders combined created 10,000 times over. God placed all of your sins past, present, and future on his own son. And he crushed, he crushed his very own son under his wrath against your sin. He did this for you and me. God has certainly done this to demonstrate his glory and majesty, but it is also true to say that God has done this for you, friends. On the cross, there was a great exchange that happened where Jesus was credited our sin, and we are credited his perfect righteousness. Uh, to those who are in Christ, God no longer sees the sin in you. Indeed, it has been done away with in Christ. But he sees the righteousness that's not from you, the righteousness of Christ in you. This is how you can stand before the Lord. Jesus Christ was crucified and crushed for your sins and he was raised from the dead by the holy spirit and he now sits at the right hand of god and will finally come one day this time around not to save but to judge the living and the dead but until that day god bids us to come to him through his son jesus christ he commands that all men should repent and believe on the lord jesus christ to turn away from your sins and entrust our lives to Jesus Christ, not only for salvation, but in all things. Don't be mistaken. It's a costly thing to follow Christ. Indeed, it requires your very life and all of it. It's not just some of it. It's all of your life entrusted to Christ. Romans 10, 13, 10, 13 for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isaiah 55, 6 through 7 reads, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he is near. Let the wicked one abandon his way and the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord so he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will freely forgive. Lord's thoughts indeed are, are not like our thoughts, and his ways are certainly not like our ways. If we were God ourselves and had no one to be accountable to, we would certainly crush our enemies and those who belittle us and our loved ones and those who offend us. Uh, we would crush it every chance. But praise God. Thanks be to God. He's not like us, and he has not dealt with us 
as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our sins. Friends, this is the very God that is revealed to us in the scriptures, in his word. Do, do you want to know him? Don't you want to know him deeper? There are glories here that we are giving up on for such silly little things that this world has to offer. Or like John earlier this morning said, because we've become lazy, because our affections for Christ have dwindled. Brothers and sisters, let's, let's say with our brother Paul, everything is lost in comparison to knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. He is everything. I just want to finish with a closing thought. And, um, you know, those of us here, if, if the gospel has just gone over your head, and those of us who are feeling the guilt of their sin and how we've treated the word of God, or just even just the general guilt of sin, and, and your guilt right now is making you think that you need to go home and start making a plan to read more so that you can feel better about your guilt, just, just stop. It's, it's just as you are. God loves you and accepts you just as you are. You cannot make him love you more, and you certainly cannot do anything to make him love you less. His love does not change with time, but it never ends. It's from everlasting to everlasting you ought to dwell in this love this evening if that's where you're at. Let the kindness of the Lord lead you to repentance and don't let guilt drive you. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you would bring about the obedience of faith. Uh, here and what we've listened to and sung and may not just stop with conviction or even just an emotional response but may it lead more to obedience and so work that in us to the praise of your name in Jesus name Amen <laughs>